Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at www.audibletrial.com forward slash swoopsworld. Over 100,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. That's audibletrial, A-U-D-I-B-L-E-T-R-I-A-L.com forward slash swoopsworld. You're listening to the Talk Story Radio Network. Welcome to another edition of Swoops World, right here on the new Talk Story Radio Network. Swoops World, where you get all you need to know about arts, culture, news, and happiness. Our number, if you want to give us a call tonight, is 562-912-3444. You can always email us at swoopsworld at gmail.com, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. Once again, if you want to give us a call, that number is 562-912-3444. Now just sit back and enjoy Another edition of Swoops World on the new Talk Story Radio Network. of Swoops World Late Night. It is May 31st, 2017. Looking forward to a big show tonight with uh, Bob Case and Anthony Davis. And we're talking about all kinds of good things. Let's see if we get this volume set here, right? Make that work a little bit better. We're talking about all kinds of good things. Uh, Bob's going to be talking about uh, a new book out about Casey Stingle. And we know that Bob worked for him for a number of years, so that's going to be interesting. And, of course, we get to talk to AD about all kinds of things going on in the sports world. So we're looking forward to all of that tonight. And uh, we're going to jump right into it. We're going to take our first break, listen to the song, get things rolling. You're listening to Swoops Rolling on Talk Story Radio Network, sponsored by HealthyNewDay.com. This is Tyrone Wells and the Birds Sing after this. Sunshine came out today And it's shining all over the world Shining all over the world The sunshine came out today And it's shining all over the world On every man, woman, boy and girl And it sure feels fine When the sunshine shines Warms your skin and your soul within, and the birds sing do 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 Jumping in the ocean waves Today they both feel safe And it sure feels fine When the sunshine shines It warms our skin And you're so within And the birds sing Do, do, do Do, 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 do Do, 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 do 
This is Joe Walsh. I'm speaking on behalf of Rad. It's okay to rock and roll, right? But don't drive home drunk. If you're drunk, call me up. I have a limo. I'll come and get you. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, Rad, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. Every day I wake up at 5 to give dad his medicine. Every day I wake up at 5 to give dad his medicine. At 6 I make his breakfast. Every day I wake up at 5 to give dad his medicine. At 6 I make his breakfast. At 7 I shower. Every day I wake up For at those five. caring for a loved one, we hear you. That's why AARP created a community to help us better care for ourselves and the ones we love. Visit aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. You're listening to the Talk Story Radio Network. Hey, this is Sharp on the Wall, and you're listening to Swirl. And welcome back to Swoops Road on the Talk Story Radio Network, and let's give Bob Case a call and get this thing started here. Hello, we'd like to welcome back to the show our good friend, Bob Case. Uh, we, we, you know, he's been on the show a number of times. Uh, he's the, I think, Bob, he's still the vice president of the IBA? Yeah, Keith, I'm still the vice president. They're in the middle of selling it to uh, uh, some people in in Europe. But uh, I'm still until, and they, you know, I don't know what's going to happen when it sells, but it's right in the middle of being sold right now, so. Oh, I'm still well, the active vice president. Still. We're kind of in limbo, though, you know, until it, it's sold. Yeah. Well, he's a vice president of the International Boxing Association. He's been he's worked for a number of pro ball teams and pro pro ball players and uh, actors and everything else. He's 
big time USC fan and a great, great memorabilia guy. We want to welcome back to the show, Bob Case. Welcome back, Bob. Well, thank you so much, Keith. It's good to hear your voice. Yeah, it's and, always uh, good. Always good to have a chance to chat. You on, I want to congratulate you on taking the big step, buddy. <laughs> well, thank you, man. You know, uh, like you, you and I have talked about this, and uh, we, we've done this before. But uh, now, maybe this what, is what gonna, is this, this a hat trick for you? This is going to stick. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, Keith. You're my kind of guy, buddy. <laughs> well, it, it's always a pleasure to have a chance to chat with you, man. You, you always make me laugh. You always fill our audience with, uh, you know, little tidbits of things we never really knew about. And, and we're going to just jump right into it today. There's a new book out about Casey Stingle. You you worked for Casey a number of years. Um, it's a great book. It's written by Marty Appel. Uh, I have to admit, though, I, I didn't. Uh, who's this? Who's this young Bobby Case they talk about in the book? <laughs> that's what that's what Casey called me, Bobby Case, and that's it's it's hilarious. All through the book, I'm Bobby Case. But, you, know, <laughs> you know what did Mickey Rooney used to say? Uh, you know they used to say Mickey Rooney, comma eight marriages, and he'd say, "Just spell my name right." <laughs> he used to say, "You know, it, 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 as long as they spell your name right, it's good publicity, even if it's negative stuff." You know what I mean? So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's good. It's a great book. It's a great read. Uh, you know, um, it's so many different things, and I'm going to touch on some of that. I want you to to, to, to expound on. Uh, you know, I knew uh, uh, Casey Stingle, you know, mostly as, as a manager and, and, you know, the whole Stingleese thing. Had no idea. Uh, I knew he played ball, but had no idea the, the extent that he played and, I mean, some of the, some of the remarkable things that he did. I mean, he's had two game-winning home runs in the World Series and uh, hit the first home run, uh, World Series home run in Yankee Stadium. He played with, uh, you know, every name that you can go through in the Hall of Fame and in the history of uh, baseball. You know, he played with a number of those people. Uh, I don't know if knew many players could say they played with so many of the so many of the greats. Uh, but uh, you worked for him for a number of years, and you read you read the book. Uh, what are your thoughts? Did they, did they get it right? All I can tell you, Keith, and I mean this for the, there's probably been, I, I keep them in, in, in my in my office on the bookshelf. I've got probably 20 different books written about Casey, from you know from Frank Graham to Gene Shore to Joe Durso in 1967. Some were in the Gene Shore, S C H O O R wrote one in the 50s. You know, there's been a ton of them. Uh, the, uh, the, the Robert Kramer was a big Sports Illustrated writer wrote one in the late. The, there's been a, uh, just a David Catania wrote one. Which I think I gave you, um, yeah. you know, an, earlier, an earlier one. But I mean, there's this. There's here's the deal. There'll never be another book written on him because there's nothing else to say. This guy, Marty Appel. You know, I had I've had Ron Yeri, who's been on your show, who's a Hall of Fame football player in the NFL Hall of Fame. That he said to me, Bob, it's one of the greatest reads I've ever read. You know, I have a friend that's a doctor up in uh, Palo Alto. Uh, who's been a sports fan his whole life, a big baseball fan. He has a whole library of books, and he said, Bob, it's the, he said, I didn't want the book to stop. You know, he said, I didn't want it to stop. So it's like, you know, uh, this guy's a doctor, Dr. Lane. He said he's never seen anything like this book. He said, he's, he, said um, he, he just couldn't believe it. And it's like, 
I learned things about Casey that I never knew, you know, just tons of stuff, you know, about, and he covered his whole career, you know, and what I, you know, it's interesting, I didn't know Casey drank so much in the old days, you know, and then I figured, why do you think he liked me? <laughs> and I got in fights, and, you know, Casey was a brawler and he drank, you know, so it's like, you know, in his early life, the guy, you know, and it talks about how he could hold his liquor all through the book, how well he held his liquor and everything, but you're right, Keith, this guy played with Babe Ruth, with Grover Cleveland Alexander against Ty Cobb again. I mean, when he went in the Hall of Fame in 1966 with Ted Williams, I think he had played with 98% of the people that were already inducted in the Hall of Fame. You know, so it's like played with or against or, you know, it's just unbelievable how many guys he played against. You know, it's like, you know, he batted against Grover Cleveland Alexander, Walter Johnson. This, I mean, there's nobody played against Honus Wagner. Played against, The guy, uh, his career... You know, he passed away in 75, but his he covered the whole history of baseball up until that point. Because when he died in 1975, he was still a uh, vice president of the New York Mets. You know, so, um, you know, the bottom line is he, you know, managed, played, but, you know, he was a general manager. He did, and there's nothing he didn't do. So, you know, and he was such a, a great ambassador for the game of baseball. And I think Marty covered that. You know, I mean, he, he was such a character, you know. I mean, think about this. There's 16,000 guys, over 16,000 guys that played big league baseball. Yeah. He was voted in 2009 the number one character over Babe Ruth, Satchel Paige, that Prime Nine TV, whatever it was they did, over all, all the all the great characters, Dizzy Dean, you know, Leo DeRoche, he was voted the number one character. So I mean, what an honor! Besides being, uh, uh, Richard Nixon voted the number one manager in baseball history, you know. So uh, and and he's the only manager that's won five straight World Championships. That'll never, I, I'll never see it in my lifetime broken. You know, I don't believe. You know, 1949, 50, 51, 52, 53, he won world titles, you know, and he won 10 pennants in 12 years with the Yankees. Unbelievable. So, you know, it, it'll never be done again, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, it was just such an honor. You know, Keith, I've told you this before, you know, I didn't have the opportunity to go to college, and people say, Bob, did you go to college? And I say, no, but I, Casey Stingle hired me when I was 20 years old, and the 10 years where I worked with him was better than going to the Wharton School of Business at Penn better than graduating from Harvard or USC or anywhere else, uh, that, it number one, it, it gave me self-worth, self-esteem. He took me under his wing like a father, and it opened up avenues that I'm still profiting from for the rest of my life. You know, I was able, fortunate enough to be able to work in sports all my life. And, it, and, and I have to say, Casey was my mentor. You know, he was, he was the guy, you know, and uh, just a beautiful guy. You know, and he touched on, in the book, how many funerals he paid for with nobody knowing about it of ex-players, yeah. how, how generous he was, you know. I mean, a true ambassador to the game of baseball, you know. he, You know, we've talked about that before, you know. But Marty Appel is, he's already had all these New York Times best-selling books. But did you read the book, Keith, at all? I, 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 I mean, got through all of it via the, uh, the audio version. Uh, and, and it's read by well, Marty Appel. Oh, that's great, yeah. Keith. That's wonderful. But, you know, it's so, I mean... I, I, it's just amazing to me uh, the life the guy had. You know, just unbelievable. You know, and uh, it, it, he got into Edna's. You know, her. He, he uncovered so much information that's never been uncovered before, and uh, you know, it was just uh, uh, you know just an amazing, 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 amazing thing. So I'm just thrilled uh, to be, you know, fortunate enough to be a part of his life. You know what I mean? Yeah. To, Mentioned in the same breath with him is an honor. You understand what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. It's like, it's like um, people will say, "Hey, Bob Case, uh, you know, uh, Keith, you know, Keith from Sooth World." Oh, grab! I mentioned the same breath with you. You know what I mean? So it's like <laughs> I feel the same thing about Casey. You know, it's like 
Jeez, yeah. He, you know, this book, uh, you know, like you said, it, it covers his whole life, and and and, and, it, and it shows you a lot, a lot about him. Yeah, he got a lot of brawls, and he and he drank a lot, and uh, but you know what? Here's a guy who, when he didn't think he was being treated fairly. You know, he said, you know, I'm just going to join the service, you know, and, 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 you know, and he seemed like he did a lot of his own negotiations back then when you really, you know, the contracts weren't really, yeah. weren't really what they, you know, there was no, they didn't always stay to them. You know, the owners didn't always uh, uh, oh, yeah. follow through and, you know, he got through and, and he, uh, and like you said, it was an ambassador for the game. He was around in time when these guys, you know, went, you know, they win the world series one week and they're off to Japan and about a week or so later. Uh, to play uh, exhibition games, uh, so totally. you know, the things he did, uh, and 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 when you talk about going to Japan back then too, we're talking about you know twelve days on a on a ship or something like that. So, um, right. you know the things he did, and and, and you talk about the the coaching he did, and, and I like the lo- the life lessons he learned. They talked about you know things he learned from um, uh, McGraw, and uh, and you know he probably passed that on you know years later when he was coaching, and seemed Absolutely. like he was always a student of the game. He loved, even Yogi Berra used to say, Casey Stingle will talk all night as long as you're talking about baseball. But if you bring up the stock market, it's over with. (laughs) 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 It's all baseball, baseball, baseball. You know, and here's the great thing about it. This is what I mean by ambassador of the game. I would see him in New York City talk to cab drivers and say, Casey, who's pitching tonight? And he would sit and talk to them. A cab driver. Now, you know how many of these jerks today won't even, they think they're above people like that? I remember there was a, a, a black shoeshine guy at the Essex House in New York. In, in, the, in the lobby, they had a shoeshine guy. Uh-huh. And Casey would get his shoeshine and sit and bullshit with that guy for a half an hour, baseball, this, blah, 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 blah. You know, and it's like, how many guys were that kind of guy? You know what I mean? It's like, you, you, I, I watched him interact with, with the little guy, you know? I mean, the guy that carries his lunch pill to work, and the guy that, and he was just unbelievable. And you, you know what he taught me at a young age? You know, Keith, I got to be honest with you. You know, I, you know, I was, I worked four years for the Los Angeles Angels. I started working for them when I was 17 years old. Yeah. And they played at Dodger Stadium. And they called it Chavez Ravina. But I, I was around all these guys, and all great guys, and I have great experiences. But working for Casey, because when I was growing up, he was probably the biggest name in baseball. You know, forget everybody else. His face was the most recognizable face on the planet at that time. I, I, we used to be driving down the street. We'd pull up to a stop sign, and somebody would get out of the car and ask him for his autograph, you know. Or uh, people would wave at him on the freeway, you know. It was unbelievable. But what I want to tell you is he taught me. Uh, you know, I as a young kid, I didn't have a lot of self-esteem. You know, I was in trouble. I was in reform school in the eighth grade, juvenile hall. Blah, blah. Casey took me. He, you know, what I used to say to myself, Keith, and I'm telling you the truth. This is, I said, if Casey Stingle likes me, I must be worth something. Yeah. You know, I must be worth. I can't be what everybody. You know, he really took a liking to me. You know, and I was like a son to him. You know, and it's like, and I would see. How he, I watched firsthand for 10 years. I was with him for 10 years, over 10 years. And I watched how he treated the little guy. And how, you know, you know what he used to always say to me? Take care of the little guy. Yeah. You know, all, all his, he always said that. And, you know, my, you know, all, I'm always asked, why are you over tip? You over tip, you over tip. Because Casey always told me to take care of, you know, if between a, a Fifteen percent tip or a twenty percent tip—is that going to break my lifestyle? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like 
take care of, you know, this woman may be supporting, the waitress may have four kids at home, you know, right. and, and, and a single mom or something, you know, take care of the little guy, take care, of, and boy, I saw that over and over and over and over again. I think I told you on this show one time, something I've told, I told Marty, I don't think he used it in the book, though, I don't think he did, but one of the most unbelievable things, he used to call me up on the phone, and, he, and you know, you call me, and say, hey, Bob, it's Keith, can you call me? He would call me up and not identify himself, he'd say, be at LAX at 11 o'clock p.m. <laughs> and hang up. So, so I'd be at LAX at 11 p.m., hang up, and he'd get off the tarmac. I'll never forget this one night. He was, this was probably 19, uh, I would say 1970, so he had to be 80 years old, 79, 80 years old. And he gets off the tarmac, he was back in New York, and there's like 30 kids out there at 12 o'clock at night, 11, 30 at night, waiting with pennants and pictures and baseballs for him to autograph. And then, you know, think of the guy's tired. You know, he was in New York and flying off. He signed every single autograph. Wow. And I said, Casey, does that bother you? And this is what he said to me, and I never forgot it. He said, Bobby, those people are as much a part of baseball as Babe Ruth, Mickey Mantle, Joe DiMaggio, the groundskeepers, the hot dog salesman, the peanut vendor, the, the, the sports writers. He said, they're part of the game and an integral part of the game and he said if they weren't out here i couldn't get paid to do what i love and i never forgot that as long as i lived i never forgot that you know that's why i see these guys today signing they 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 charge kids 150 dollars to sign an autograph some little kid to sign a ball or they wait in line and they scribble they can't even read their signatures you know and i go what is going on with the world today? You know what yeah. I mean. I, I I watched how the the old ball players used to be honored to be treated. You know, you know, a lot of them had jobs in the off season. They, you know, they were just regular guys. You know, they didn't have these ego ego edging God out. You know, they didn't have this arrogant egos. But uh, and I'm so grateful. Like Dean Chance said before he died, God bless him. He said, he said, I if I could play today and be multimillionaires. And he would have been, you know, think about 11 shutouts in 1964 and pitching a 14-inning shutout against the Yankees, not getting a decision and winning 20 games with the worst team in baseball, the Angels, and winning the Cy Young Award when there's only one award. Think what you'd get today. Dean said, I wouldn't trade the time I pitched for all the money in the world, all the money in the world, because they had a great time. You know, it was great times. And look at the look at the laughs Casey had. When, you know, like Maury Allen, this, this famous author in New York, he said when Casey died, he loved Casey, but he said, all I could do was laugh. Yeah. Because when when you think of Casey Stingle, you laugh. Now, how many people have you ever met in your life, when you think of them, you smile? You know, I mean, I, I can't I, I, I can't think of anybody else that when I think of them, I smile. You know, mm-hmm. and I think of, the, you know, all the funny things he did and said. And, and he was highly intelligent, too. You know, he wasn't just some buffoon. This guy was in... You know, I, Marty covered that. He's oil wells and this and that. Very successful, you know. Went to dental uh, school. <laughs> yeah, went to dental school first. And, uh, you know, but, I mean, just unbelievable, you know. Uh, you know, and he played for everybody. Wilbur Robinson, Hall of Fame manager, John McGraw. He loved McGraw. And McGraw, I'm sh- sure, taught him how to be. McGraw was a badass, tough guy, you know. Yeah. And uh, uh, I'll tell you a story about John McGraw. Casey told me this, and I checked it out. There was a guy named, I met the guy, he, he was a fireman in the city of Pasadena, his name was Dick Cox, you can look him up in the baseball encyclopedia, C-O-X. Mm-hmm. He played two years for the Brooklyn Dodgers. Now, I, this is how I found out about it. this is a great story. And Dick used to come to our semi-pro games over Brookside Park in Pasadena, which is now Jackie Robinson Stadium, and 
he was a little guy, like five eight, five nine, and and everybody was saying his his brother was Jess Cox, who managed the team over the Jess Cox All Stars. Everybody says Dick Cox played in the big leagues, and I said that little guy played in the big leagues. Oh yeah, yeah, he played that. So I looked it up. He played with the, two years with the Brooklyn Dodgers, and he had a three ten or three twenty lifetime batting average. So I asked Casey. I said, Casey, do you remember Dick Cox? He said, Oh yeah. I said, Why did he only play two years in the big leagues with a three twenty batting average? Now listen to this. The Brooklyn Dodgers are playing the New York Giants. A fight breaks out on the field. He takes a punch at McGraw. John McGraw, that winner, traded for him and set him down to class D ball for the rest of his career. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> so if you want to, Dick Cox, he died in Pasadena. He actually died in a boating accident up in uh, Morro Bay. But he lived in Pasadena, and yeah, he was around when I was a kid, you know. And everybody, oh, Dick Cox played for the Brooklyn Dodgers. It was a big deal back when I was a kid. And uh, that's the reason the guy hit 320 and never played, only played two years in the big leagues. <laughs> it's, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. There's so many stories in the book about, uh, you know, uh, something would happen. You know, you, you hit a game-winning home run in the World Series, and then uh, you didn't. He, I guess Casey didn't keep track of some guy they wanted him to keep track of, and so – he gets in trouble after the game. He should be the hero, and he gets in trouble from uh, from McGraw. It's, it's so many little stories where uh, guys would uh, piss off somebody in the league, and and you know either get sent down to to you know double A, triple A ball, or never to be seen again, or traded and sold, and <laughs> all kinds of craziness. Oh yeah, well I mean he did so many nutty things like dropping a grapefruit out of an airplane <laughs> over, over Wilbur Robinson, and then and he thought he died. He thought the the juice was blood. You know, he was supposed to think he'd be catching a baseball on an airplane in case he dropped a grapefruit out and blamed it on the trainer. But, you know, the, you know, he let a, a sparrow come. He, he got traded by the Brooklyn Dodgers. And he, when the first time in Evans Field, he, a sparrow ran, flew against the wall and was injured. And he put him in his hat. And he came up to bat. And everybody was booing him. And he took his cap off and the sparrow flew off. You know, <laughs> Gave him the bird. <laughs> I mean, did you, read, did you read about his first team in Kankakee where it was in a nut house? They played with, uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, and, and, and here's the great thing. You know, there's a big building out there where all these whack jobs. What they call them, the maniacs or something? They 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 would they would the Kankakee. There was a name for the team. The, they were the, the lunatics. lunatics. They, they were the Kankakee, Kankakee lunatics. Yeah. And and they and they actually called them that in the newspapers. They they show a newspaper clipping in the book. I don't know if you saw the photos on the audio thing, but yeah. there was a lot of photos, great photos, even a picture of me and Casey. But great photos, and but they showed the lunatics. And it, it it said lunatics win single hits, and so they they they, had the, they actually have the actual newspaper clipping out of there. And the guy says his teammate says, yeah, he says I, I said I, I told our teammates I don't think Casey will be here next year. And they said well, where do you think he'll be in the big leagues? He said no in that building behind right field there watching the game. You know? <laughs> the, the lunatics were you know, but uh, you know I mean the guy the guy was always a character you know, and you never knew what he was going to do next, but. He all, was it was an all good guy, had, you know, beautiful heart, beautiful, you know, loved kids, you know. I I mean, I he used to take us. He put that in the book when I was a little kid. You know, like he'd take us over, buy all the kids ice cream in his black Cadillac. He'd drive us over to uh, this place called the El Vac, which is was in Glendale at that time. But you know, you know, he just I, I couldn't tell you a bad thing about the guy. You know, and I I honestly said this people. I worked for. I was around this guy my whole life, and I never could find a character defect. How many times have you been around somebody? I mean, you're newly married. To see if you, in ten years, if you find any character defects. You know? but, <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, you know, I've been around the thing a bunch of times, and it's, you know, there's like it's almost like there's, 
you know, but I can't tell you anything negative about the guy. And that's the truth. I had one reporter from New York say, is it true he was prejudiced? And I, I got, what the hell are you talking about? I said, prejudice? I said, he was born in 1890. I said, the whole world was prejudiced until 1947 when they let Jackie Robinson play. I said, but Casey didn't have any prejudice, and Marty points that out in the book. He, he loved everybody. He was kind of like Ali. He, I never heard him knock any race, religion, anything. You know, his, yeah. he had friends. You know, else, ask Elson Hart if he was prejudiced. Elson loved him. But, you know, Casey, now here's the deal. The lingo was, he, he, one time he said, I finally got a black guy. I, I think he used the N-word. He said, I finally get one. I get the only one I can't run. They threw him out at <laughs> second base. But Casey, did, he had no, that was just the way people, it was a different world back then. Yeah. He loved black people. He really did. You know, and then the, I think the reason people say that because he was so com- combative against Jackie Robinson in the World Series, you know what I mean? So, you know, it wasn't because he was black. It was because he was a Dodger. You yeah, know what I'm looks saying? Looks like he was but, combative against everybody he competed against, uh, you know. Exactly, you know, exactly he, correct. <laughs> so, but no, he had no, I, if, if he had any character defects, believe me, I would have known him. You know, he just, if you like baseball, he didn't care what color you were, what what your background was, what, you know, he didn't give anything he loved, you know, he, he, that's why I said he was the greatest ambassador ever. And like a lot of ambassadors, this guy was, there's not any, he bought, he, you know, he, it was hard to pick up a tavern on Casey Stingley. You know, I mean, it really was, you know. I didn't have a lot of dough in those days. And this guy would go out and have, you know, spend, you know, they even covered that in the book. He'd go out and spend, you know, have eight people for dinner, drinks, and drink it all night and pick up the tab. The next day, he'd have me on the phone call 10 different places to find a, a cheap, cheaper car battery for his car, and I, if I save ten bucks at Sears, he'd get that one. <laughs> well, here let, let's talk about let's talk about that. I, I found it interesting that uh, you know he was listed in the phone book, and apparently people would just come up to the door and you know knock on the door. You get three hundred pieces of mail a week, and you and uh, you know you know you'd have the mail call. They talked about the mail call with you uh, going through the mail with him. Uh, you know when you have somebody of that stature, you, you know uh, you know people just dropping by. Uh, what was that like? He. This is the thing. You know, people would just, I remember being, you know, I was there all the time. It was like a full-time job. And I'd hear the door knock, and I'd, Casey, get the door, Bobby. And I'd, there'd be a guy visiting from Philadelphia, and he had his two kids with him and his wife, and he just wanted to see if he could get Casey's autograph at the front door. They'd knock at the door. I said, Casey, there's a guy out here who wants your autograph. And he said, bring him in. <laughs> <laughs> He'd bring the guy in, give the whole family a Coca-Cola, show him his room, show him, and sit down and talk to him for a half hour. And, and he had all these pictures he had of himself, and he'd pull out pictures. What's your name? And you know, sign the pictures to him. And I mean, that's just the way he was, man. Yeah. He was like, you know, unless he was really busy or something, but he, he was just, you know, he, you know, he, he he respected those people, you know. And he was he was he'd go out in public, and when people would come up to him, he he was almost like he was honored to be recognized because why because he was representing what he loved baseball yeah. you know baseball that's what he loved and if you looked at casey and and thought of him as a baseball that made him happy you know so it's like you know he was just uh, i mean I, I never saw him big league anybody i never saw him act like a jerk ever ever you know but he he also was no fool if he walked in a room and he could read people in one second you know who's a who's the phony and who's the real one. You know what I mean? I mean, he was like uh, brilliant in that area. But uh, he had very good, I would call it street smarts, you know, as far as recognizing. And the writers loved him. I mean, the 
New York writers? Are you kidding me? They loved him. I mean, there's a great picture in the book of him sitting. I never saw There's some pictures in there. I never saw a picture of him with reaching over. Uh, Joe, well, Joe DiMaggio's reaching over, shaking his hand. Mickey Mantle's on the other side of him. Phil Rizzuto's on the other side of him. And Ralph Hawks in the middle. I mean, some pictures. I never saw that picture. You know, it's like at an old-timers game or something, you know, but... There were some great photos, him sliding in in the 1923 World Series, him sliding at home with Huey Jennings, the Hall of Fame coach, right behind him there. And, you know, I mean, I mean, the guy hit two World Series home runs in the, in the World Series. You know, he, he played against Babe Ruth in the World Series. You know, it's yeah. like uh, Ruth was a pitcher in 1916 when, when Casey was on the Brooklyn Dodgers. They played the uh, Boston uh, Red Sox, and Ruth was a pitcher on the team before he became the New York Yankee Babe Ruth. And then he played later with them against the Yankees, you know, so it's no, just just an amazing and ride through history, and, you know, I mean, I always tell people he won the Triple Crown. They say, what's that? I said, he made the cover of Life, Time, and Newsweek. Not many athletes make the cover of Life magazine, Time, and Newsweek, as, along with Sports Illustrated and Sport Magazine and Sport, I mean, all, every, he must have made the cover of hundreds of magazines, you know, but, you know, to be Life, Time, and Newsweek was pretty good. That was like the big magazines in those days, you know, so it was like, but uh, I'm just, I'm telling you, I'm just honored that, that Marty Appel is a genius. And there's nobody else that could have done this. Nobody else in the world that could have done this. Because when you're done with that book, you you really have gotten a history lesson, you know. I mean, you have no idea the people. You know, it's number one in sports books on Kindle. I don't even know what Kindle is, but it's number one on Kindle. And it's right there. And Well, you got audio, whatever it is. Uh, and yeah. the, so this book could very... Very easily at the New York Times bus. It's it's just kicking ass. I mean, Marty's. I got reviews from the uh, huge reviews in the Wall Street Journal and the Christian Science Monitor and the all these papers all over the world. Man, they're, they're they've just you know. And it's pretty. What's amazing to me, uh, Keith, is the guy's been dead forty two years. You know, it's not like he's a current guy. You know, there was a there, the two books that were holding their own with his, and then it, one week he was number one was. Uh, this guy wrote a book uh, on the Chicago Cubs from their deal last year, and right. then there's a, a Chipper Jones that was written. But Casey's book was ahead the last time I saw. I don't know what it is now, but it's like uh, you know, it's just amazing to me that it's doing that good. But look at look at Marty Appel's track work. He's, like he's had four New York Times best-selling books, and he's written many. He's considered the number one historian in Yankee history, and he's you know worked for the Yankees for many many years with Mantle and everybody and. He's a you know he's in everything. He's in the hall of, hall of fame as a writer, I believe. He's you know, he's just a great guy, and uh, I'm so glad that a guy like him got a hold of you know was was a you know got the inkling to do this because uh, you know and I'm, I'm I'm happy you heard it, Keith. And it's great. Oh yeah, and you know it's interesting. You know you talk about you know you know he's he's been dead for forty some years, and and and, and the book is doing so well. You know everybody you know. At least you know my age and 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 whatnot, or, or has remember remembers uh, Casey Stengel or remembers stories about him. Um, but when you pick when you when you pick up the book or, or start listening to the book and you start hearing the history from, from way back, you know things I never heard about. It's a page turner. You don't want to put it down. You don't want to stop listening to it or reading it. And you know you talked about you know his generosity with his friends, but here's a guy who took care of his family. Uh, you oh, know. you got that. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> took care of his sister Louise, took yeah. care of his mom, took care of, his, you know, his brother Grant. Until he died, he became, Grant was a cab driver because he tore his D up. But he, this guy, I mean, he was taking care of his sister 
years later. You know, I mean, you know, she was never, you know, or never got married. She was living in the same house they grew up in on Louis Street in Kansas City. There, and he, he, you know, took. I, I remember him writing her checks, and I could tell you, he, the the Baseball Players Association of America, he took care of them. You know, wrote them checks for the, and that's that take care of the old ball players. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, I mean, he did so many things like that that nobody would know about. Nobody. I mean, when he wrote checks to to pay for funerals of ex-teammates of his, nobody knew except Bobby Case. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And uh, the bottom line is, you know, I I just was just amazed. And, and, and I think Casey was grateful that he had the means to do that, you know. And, and, and to him, these people were baseball people. He wasn't looking at them as down-and-out people. They were part of the whole, like the people waiting at the airport. They were... You know, it's the round circle of baseball, and you know he would give his life for baseball, whether it's fans, ex-players, you know, whoever it was. You know, he just loved the sports writers. I mean, did you ever hear of a more popular guy with the sports writers? <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I re- would... there was one part in there where they were saying that uh, uh, I forgot what team. I think the Giants had uh, picked him up or something, and he had been gone for a number of years and everything. And, and the, the sports writers were were as excited as any of the fans because they said. You know, they're going to have somebody fun to write about again, and, and he's always you know, always entertaining, always has something good to say, and they were excited that he was coming back. Oh, absolutely. I mean, even, I mean Keith, when he was managing the New York Mets, and these, these are legends. I, I talked to Norm Sherry, who was a catcher, Larry Sherry's brother, and he lives down in San Diego. He's in his 80s, and he said, Bob, he said, Casey would go, stay up all night talking to the reporters until like, you know, 4 in the morning, 5 in the morning, drinking, 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 drinking. Now, it Eight in the morning, Casey would be down having breakfast in the hotel, and the reporters were sleeping until noon. You understand? And he was like seventy-five years old then. You know what I mean? So it's like the guy, the guy, the guy would like. Uh, and the, one of the funniest stories in the book, I, I don't know if you saw that, is this this pitcher, Mickey McDermott. This is a true story, though. This is not some. This is a hundred percent true. Mickey McDermott was a left-handed pitcher that was with the Boston Red Sox, big big bonus baby. And the Yankees got him. He was a full-blown alcoholic, good guy, but just a full-blown alcoholic. So Casey had a rule in spring training, or and in the regular season, I drink in the hotel, in the bars in the hotel. You guys go outside and drink. I don't want to see you in the hotels. So he was drinking in the hotel one night, and Mickey McDermott came in at 3 in the morning, completely shit-faced, right, walks in the hotel. And he tried to sneak into the elevator. But what happened? Casey had walked up the same time and saw him in the elevator. And Casey looked at him. Mickey McDermott said, drunk again? And, and, and Mickey looked at him and said, me too. <laughs> and Casey just laughed. You know, I mean, he liked those kind of guys. Here's the thing. He liked those kind of What do you think Billy Martin was his favorite player for? You know, he liked those kind of guys that he, he never, you know, when Don Larson was out drinking and everything, Casey never did anything to him. You know what I mean? He, he, he just knew what was. He'd been around the game so long, you know. He knew all the deal, the stuff that was going on. He knew, you know, New York and everything, and the players and all the temptations and everything. So he was really good about not being a hard ass with him. You know, I mean, he he liked those kind of guys. He he always believed that those kind of guys made. I mean, if you look at the Yankees, Johnny Blanchard, like me, a recovering alcoholic until he passed away, he was sober twenty eight years, the catcher, uh, Mickey Mantle. Uh, alcoholic. I mean, you know, great guy, but I'll, I mean, you, you could go on and on and on the whole team, you know, and I don't want to say some of their stuff, but I mean, the whole team was like the LA Angels when I was working for him. A reporter came to me and said, Bob, after hearing the stories 
instead of L.A. on the hat, they should have had A.A. on the hat. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, uh, you know, it just uh, it was just, and that's what people did. You know, Keith, you're old enough to know. That's what people did back then. They right. drank. And they, and you know, my my father used to sit me on his lap when I was about five years old and say, don't ever trust a man that doesn't drink. So it's like, it's like, you know, I, that's how we grew up, you know. And I think that's probably why Casey liked me, because I like to drink and, you know, you know, just, I was kind of, you know, you, we, we, and I love baseball. Yeah. I love baseball and I like to drink. So, you know, what, you know, I'll never forget her. There's a, he had a second baseman named Bobby Richardson who was a religious guy. Bobby's still kicking too. He's alive. And, uh, good guy, really a good guy. But a reporter asked him, he was very religious. And, you know, that Yankee team in those years was not a bunch of Bible bangers. They were a, a bunch of hellraisers. So the reporter said to him one time, what do you think of Bobby Richardson, Casey? And he said, well, he don't drink. He don't smoke. You don't swear. You don't chase women. They can't hit a curveball. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I mean, what what a character though! What a character! I mean, did you did you hear him in Senator Kefauver in the '58 Senate hit Senate hearing? You know, no. where he, that's at the end of the book. There's a chapter on him being. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! 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 yeah. I did. Yeah I, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Exactly. And he gives all this stingleys for a half an hour, and in the Senate, in the Senate hearing, and then they, Mickey Mantle was right next to him, and they said, "Mickey, what do you think?" And he said, "My thoughts are about the same as Mr. Stingley." <laughs> the whole place just erupted in laughter. You know, you know it, it, it's interesting that you talk about like you know he always talks baseball. And, and there's a part in in the book about you know when he's he's talking about his wife. And she's talking, you know, talk about when they went on the first date. And she said, you know, basically, all he talked about was baseball. <laughs> you know, oh, absolutely. <laughs> Let's see, here, here's the deal, Keith. When he, he, Casey, when he was like 32 years old, he looked like he was 50. You know what I mean? He yeah. had one of those faces. They had wrinkles, and you know, he just had one of those faces. I mean, I mean, they, they used to say, I mean, I remember Mickey Mantle. He was out in the outfield telling him how, how to play a ball off the outfield wall at Evans Field, Mickey said, you played? He, never, <laughs> he couldn't believe that Casey actually played in the big leagues. I mean, and played at, played at Evans Field for many years. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I mean, the guy had an amazing, you know, he had a 360 career batting average in the World Series, in three World Series. Yeah. So. so he played so he, in, he played in three World Series and he won 10, uh, 10? No, uh, yeah, 10. Uh, and tennis in twelve years. Yeah, and he coached. He, he coached the Yankees and the Mets to the World Series, right? Yes. Yeah. No, no, he was the, he was the vice president when the Mets made it because he was with them in the early years. Then Gil Hodge was managing, and that, but Casey is the only man in the history of baseball to wear the four uniforms of all four New York teams. He wore the uniforms of the New York Giants, the Brooklyn Dodgers, the Yankees, and the Mets. Nobody else in history wore the uniforms of all four teams. So, you know, there's a, a lot. I, I learned things. I never thought about that, but there's so many things in that book I learned that I didn't know. And Marty Appel, I told Marty, I said, Marty, I, now, I thought I was an expert on Casey's wife. I didn't know anything. Now I really do know, you know, because there's so many gaps, you know, that I didn't know about his early life and everything. I mean, what, you know what Marty says? He says, I mean, the, the Robert Kramer was probably considered the best book, but now there's nothing that could ever usurp this book. I mean, there's nothing. There's yeah. nothing else. There's, I mean, it's like, uh, so I don't think there'll ever be another book written on it because there's nothing else to tell. He told it all. I mean, he got the Edna's, you know, when Edna was, Tony, Tony uh, Harsh Millette, who was Casey's niece, got the Edna's, uh, like her, 
you know, her diary talking about Casey when they were dating and everything, and he got all that in there. I mean, just amazing, you know. He went to people that, you know, he covered every area of his life. You know, he even listed the pallbearers, which I was fortunate to be one at his funeral. You know, he lists, every pallbearer was listed in the book. You know, so it was like, wow, you know, pretty amazing. Well, this guy, like I said, he knocked it out of the ball. Everybody I've talked to raves about it. And uh, I, I didn't I tell you a year or two ago it was going to be a, a great book, you know? Yeah, you did. And you know what? It's not just, um, it is about Casey Stingle, and, and that's totally what it's about. But it's it's a walk through baseball history. I mean, the Robins, I, I, I know the good. Dodgers are called the Robins and all kinds yeah. of, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and the Yankees were called the Highlanders. You're out, you know, you know, you're, you know. But think about this: Casey Stingle was baseball history. Yeah, and if you tell his life, you're telling the history of baseball up until 1975. Yeah. So you know, it's it's pretty amazing. And then even after that, because his proteges were Billy Martin, they talked about the fist fight Billy got in at the wake <laughs> funeral, which I was, I, that was a great story. We're sitting in the, I picked Billy up at the airport, and he slept in Casey's bed the night before the funeral and the night of the funeral. And there were, the, the, the funeral was at Forest Lawn. And there was a big wake. And there was booze flowing. They had bars set up in his backyard by the tennis courts, by in the kitchen, in the dining room. In the, and there were you know, people in the house, and they had the upstairs closed off, but all through the first floor of the house, people drinking. And, you know, it, it was just a, a great. And uh, Billy Martin's in the kitchen, and he's, you know, I would say he was feeling pretty good. <laughs> and this Joe Stevenson, who was a former big league catcher with the Red Sox, I believe, and a scout for the Red Sox, his son Jerry pitched for the Dodgers, walked into the kitchen and said he was drunk. But he was a big guy, too, like 6'3", 230, 240. And he says, so here's the great Billy Martin. And Billy, and Billy says, what the F about it? <laughs> there's a whole Don Larson was in there, Irv Norn, you know, my Justin Dato, myself, and and we go, uh oh. The next thing you know, they're throwing, they're out in the out in the back, uh, in the by the swimming pool out there in the backyard, throwing blows, and we had to break them up. It was a great story. Lasorda drove. Joe Stevenson was so drunk that Lasorda drove. Lasorda was there that night. He was a Paul Bear at the funeral. They drove, Lasorda drove Joe's car down to Fullerton where Lasorda lived. And I had to, the next day, Lasorda called me and asked me if I could bring his car back. <laughs> so I, so the next day after the funeral, I drove Lasorda's car down to Fullerton and had a friend following me down to bring me back. But I mean, it was, a, what a night that was. I, I, there's a lot of things I couldn't tell you that happened that night, but uh, it was, um, I'll tell you privately, but I mean, what a night. I mean, what a night. You know that it, 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 well, that's one of the great things when you you celebrate somebody like that. You know, after they're gone, and you know, yeah. you, you know, you show, you show the love while they're around. But then when the friends can all get together and celebrate celebrate them at that time, uh, you know, sometimes things pop up and happen. But uh, they're all there for the same reason. And characters uh, are characters; they're not going to change just because they're. <laughs> it, you know, Billy Martin was you know he loved Casey, but you know the, the you know unfortunately I think the drinking got the best ability near the end. You know yeah. what I mean? So yeah. it's like, but you know he he was a great guy and a hell of a competitor. And, everything, and he took it personally when Casey traded him. But you know that's baseball being traded. I actually said in the book, you know, you, see, you know Casey never disrespected or disliked Billy. He always loved him, but he Billy was pissed off when they traded him to the uh, Kansas City Athletics, I believe. You know, because he he wasn't. Uh, you know, he was taking mantle and forward disguised and leading lead them astray. <laughs> <laughs> you, 
you know, it's it's interesting because uh, we we hear, we hear some stories in, in the book uh, about you know the, the things that linger, and I guess when uh, they were going to retire uh, uh, Casey's number uh, at the you know with the Yankees, you know he he hadn't gone he hadn't gone back to to the Yankee Stadium you know for anything special uh, except for you know World Series or something because he he was holding he was pissed off about uh, them letting him go, and I guess the year before they. Retired uh, somebody's number who he played with, and he was the only one that didn't show Mickey up. Mickey Mantle, yeah, Mickey Mantle, you know, retired. Yeah, he didn't go yeah. So, so they, it takes it takes it takes a lot to bury the hatchet sometimes, doesn't it? Oh yeah, I mean you know Casey, you know he he didn't. I mean think about this, he loses to the New York to the Pittsburgh Pirates in 1960 because there was a, a rock in the infield and the ball hit Tony Kubek in the throat, or the Yankees would have won that thing. Like, if you look at the stats for the 1960 World Series. The Yankees outscored the Pirates like 65-23, to 23, but the Pirates won on Mazeroski's home run in the seventh game. But the Yankees would beat them 12 to nothing and then lose 2-1, to one, yeah. then beat them 13-2 to two and lose 3-2, to two, you follow me? Yeah. So the Yankees just thoroughly thrashed them, but it was just a bad break, and they fired them. And Casey thought, I win you 10 pennants in 12 years, <laughs> and I get fired what, because I'm 70 years old? He was really upset about it. And he, and, but here's the deal. They fired George Weiss who was Casey's Eskimo, George Weiss, you know, I said in the book, I only saw Casey cry three times. And I, I would read obituaries, obituaries all the time to him, you know, because at his age, people were dropping left and right. Yeah. And one of them was Frankie Frisch, they called him the Fordham Flash. He was a Hall of Fame second baseman for the Cardinals. The other one was uh, his niece, who was his secretary at the, when he was a banker, uh, Margaret Millette. And what a wonderful lady she was. She died of breast cancer, you know, just a beautiful soul. And the third was George Weiss, and he cried like a baby because Weiss recognized Casey, even when he was with those lousy teams in Boston and Brooklyn and everything, he he got him jobs in the minor leagues. And George Weiss is the one that hired Casey to manage the New York Yankees. And everybody says, well, they're hiring this clown for This guy's a clown and a loser. Weiss hired him, and then... They fired Weiss and Casey both after Casey went 10 minutes in 12 years yeah. and five straight World Series. Now listen to this. When the Mets became a team in 62, who was their general manager? George Weiss. Who was the first one he wanted to bring back? And everybody said to Casey, Gene Autry tried to bring him in with the Angels in 61. He said, you know, because Dell Webb Construction Company, with Casey knew all the people there. He was the owner of the Yankees. He said, no, nah, I'm taking him out to be a banker. 62, he couldn't turn down George Weiss, who gave him every break he ever got in baseball. And he said, well, baseball needs me. He knew the Mets were going to be horrible. And, uh, but he said, and what, here's, this is what Marty points out in this book, Keith. And I never thought about it. Casey Stingle is what sold the Mets. He's the only manager in history that people, people would pay to go see the manager. Yeah. I mean, he was the face of the New York Mets franchise in all those horrible years. He was the face of the franchise, and, uh, and everybody knew him in New York and loved him in New York, so he put the Mets on the map. Yeah. You know, he, he was, you know, if they'd lose 10 to nothing, they'd interview Casey for an hour after the game, and he would have, he, they wouldn't even talk about losing. They just talked about his stories, you know. So it was like uh, a, a, almost a godsend, you know, that the Mets became the most popular. They were really popular in those years, you know. Yeah. And, you know, he, you know, Casey said, Let's go Mets, the amazing Mets. My daughter, yeah, he's the one that made all those slogans, you know. So, you know, Metsy, Metsy, what's the first thing a baby says when they're born? Metsy, 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 Metsy. That's what he used to say. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I mean, he, he was a, a salesman. But what was he doing? Selling baseball. Yeah. The Mets were baseball. He was selling baseball 
I'm going to stand up for one last time and go to the Memorial Hospital, you know. But, you know, just, um, you know, I mean, just uh, just a, a bright light on, on, on this, you know, with all the negative stuff you see. And this Jane, Jane Levy is her name that wrote the book on Koufax and Mantle. One of her, she said, after reading that book, she said it was an unbelievable book. And she said, we never needed Casey more in the world than we do today. Wow. And boy, was that hitting the nail on the head. We never needed Casey Stingle more than we do in 2017. Yeah. So it was like bringing him back to life. You know, you know, you know since that book, and I've, I've read it, and I have done, it, it's almost like it took me back in my life. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like reliving your life. And it was like, um, you know, I, sometimes I feel like I'm 20 years old again, you know, or 12 years old when I, I was 12 when I first met him, 11 or 12. But, I mean, I feel, you know, it's just, wow. You know, it just took me right back through all those years and, you know, how he helped me and guided me in my life and everything, you know. And it's like I'm just eternally grateful for him, you know, because, you know, God, you know, blesses you. You know, you're, your new wife may have been a blessing for who we don't know, but she could have, we have no idea whether it's a, 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 a dog, a person uh, that God puts in our way, you know, and that and they God comes through them. And I really believe, you know, me loving baseball as a kid kept me out of jail, kept me out of, you know, I was a, crazy enough with baseball. But if I if I hadn't had baseball in life, I would probably wouldn't have lived to be forty years old, you know, because I was going down the wrong road, the wrong people hanging around and everything. And you know, and then a guy like Casey comes in my life who I idolize as a little kid, and uh, you know, and then he. I end up being with him, and it was like uh, it was. I, I think it's like a God thing. I really do. Well, that was uh, that was going to be my, my last question for you because uh, you know we, we we never know what decisions we make in life, or, or you know what, what the ultimate outcome is going to be down the down the road. You know, you, sometimes you think, "Wow, if I'd have made that." You know, I, I remember talking to somebody years and years and years ago. Their, their grandparents and, and the grandfather would uh, always tease the, the his wife, his the, my friend's grandmother, and said, "You know." Let's not forget when you wouldn't let me buy that buy those stocks. And what, what it was was uh, he had a chance to buy Disney stocks before uh, before Disneyland opened years ago, because uh, wow. he he knew he 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 had some kind of a relationship with somebody who was was tight with Walt Disney, and he knew that this was coming up, and he had a chance to buy some stocks. And she said, "Absolutely no. Who's going to go to some kitty park or whatever like that?" And, you know. <laughs> and so what, what turn could have made? And I and I and I think about with you. I mean. You know, here you are. You're, you're working for a, a, a major league baseball team at a young age, and was, you know people dream of that. Uh, you know, and, and they were moving, and you you were welcome to come along, and you still had a job, and you know you, you could you see you could see your career in that. And uh, you know, he asked you to, you know, why do you want to do that? Why do you want to make that drive? Why don't you come work for me? Uh, even though he's Casey Stingle, I mean, sometimes you got to think, well, you know, long term, uh, I have a career with the Angels. Uh, do I want to make this make this choice? And you made that choice. Was that a difficult decision to make? And obviously, it totally was. Like you said, it was a godsend. But at the time, uh, that had to be something, uh, some kind of struggle. Even though he was somebody you had always admired. Well, let's be honest. I mean, I was hanging up jock straps and taking care of the uniforms and the bats and everything for the Angels in Dodger Stadium. So they moved to Anaheim. And at the, at the end of 65, Casey said to me, at the end of the 65, probably around September or October, he said, that's when he retired from the Mets. He said, Bobby, are you going to drive from Glendale to Anaheim? You know, it was a long ways back then. He says, you know, and, I, and what, what was I? I was an equipment guy. And there was a, there was a couple guys above me with the Angels that I wasn't crazy about. So 
I kind of, and Bo Belinsky and Dean Chance both said the guy was jealous of me, and I, I, this one particular character. And I, so I thought, I was smart enough, even at 20 years old, to think, what's my future with this team? Can I get an upper management by being an equipment manager? Can I do? And then I thought, then Casey said, why don't you come and work for me? I said, well, what would I do? He said, believe me, we'll find work for you. And he named me his business manager. He told everybody I was his business manager. He was a kid. Hey, listen to this story. He got me a job with Gillette because he did advertising for Gillette. So I was a salesman for Gillette. <laughs> He's telling razor blades. But as well as working for him, I was moonlighting, working for Gillette. And I was drinking all the time and drunk half the time. But I was selling razor blades. And so Casey would take me to parties in New York and everything. He knew Bud Salatich, the president of Gillette. And that's why he got me the job. And so Casey would say, people would say, hi. And he, he said, I want you to meet my uh, my." Uh, business manager Bob Casey. He said, he's also a big shot with Gillette. <laughs> <laughs> I was making 800 bucks a month, at, at, which was a lot of money. Then, but, so all these people looked at me like I was a CEO of Gillette. <laughs> so, and, and, uh, Bob, Bobby's a big shot with Gillette. And I, I'll never forget that. And all these people are going, oh, they're treating me like I'm a king or something. You know, a big shot with Gillette. And I, you know, I had all the razor blades I could use and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, you know, <laughs> that's hilarious that's awesome <laughs> but anyway you know it's like like you say i mean life is filled with breaks you know and i you know i i just thank god because it was the smartest move i ever made in my life i was as i told you earlier it was better than going to any college and he it was it, it schooled me and then later when he passed away i you know i was representing like 35 major league players you know yeah. and over the years a lot of hall of famers and everything and why did i represent him because they knew I worked for Casey for 10 years, you know what I mean? So it, it gave me legitimacy, you know, where if I graduated from SC and said, can I represent Phil Necro or Joe Necro or, or can I represent Warren Spahn or can I represent uh, all these different Daryl Evans or Sam McDowell, this guy, that guy, they would have said, well, you went to SC, but working for Casey, it opened up the, the, all the doors for me. Yeah. Does that make sense? That makes 100% sense, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just like you know A.D., if you know AD and you're an SC fan, that opens up doors for you. <laughs> <laughs> and you were working right up the street from Rod Dato. You 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 had all kinds of doors opening up for you. They're just flying open for you. <laughs> oh, Casey Casey loved Rod Dato. You know what he used to say to me? Rod was running dart and coaching at SC for a dollar a year because he was a multimillionaire. And Casey used to say to me. That guy, he's got some class. <laughs> <laughs> and Casey signed Rod Dato. You know, Casey was managing the Brooklyn Dodgers. In 1935, he signed Rod Dato. And if you look at the encyclopedia, Rod Dato played for the Brooklyn Dodgers in 1935. Then really? he got hurt. He, Oh, yeah, he was a shortstop for the Brooklyn Dodgers. It's Raul Dato, Raul Rod Dato. And he got hurt. He played probably 10 games for the Brooklyn Dodgers, and he got hurt. And then uh, he opened up. It was the best thing that ever happened to him. He got hurt, and he opened up the... Dark Transportation and Trucking, which is one of the largest independent trucking companies in the United States. They did all Sears Warehousing. And he, he and his son Justin drew a dollar a year coaching at USC. Can you imagine that? I mean, Rod coached at SC for almost 50 years for a dollar a year. Won 11 national championships and coached Mark McGuire, Tom Seaver, Don Buford, Ron Ferry. These hundreds of guys that signed contracts. You know? so it's like, I tell you what, I think SC got their money's worth on that one. Oh, yeah, but, you know, it's the same old thing. He was a protege of Casey, Rod Dato. Yeah. He loved Casey, you know. And, and, you know, Justin, his son's got a picture in his house. So one of my favorite pictures is a picture of Casey holding both of Justin's sons when they were little kids, you know, and he's winking that famous wink. <laughs> it's like, what a, what a great picture. Every time I go over to Justin's house, that's Rod Dato's son. I see that picture, and I go, wow, you know. But, 
you know, that's all we have is memories, and thank God, thank God, I uh, I don't have Alzheimer's, you know, and I can still remember this crap, you know. But... <laughs> exactly, well, Bob. I, I want to thank you once again uh, for for coming on the show, and, and gosh, you know, the stories are outstanding, and and I know you talked to Marty Appel, it's just telling us an outstanding book. I'm going to have to sure, buy the well, hard copy. Will this be on? Will this be on where you can hear this? I'd like him to hear this interview. You know, uh, it'll be on swoopsworld dot com, uh, and, and right on. Uh, Click on the today's date, and uh, the the archive is at the top of the page. Once you click on, once you click on and go to that page, the archive will be on the oh, top of the page. Oh, he'll he'll love to hear this because he used to put promotions everywhere. He's been like, to, he's coming out here uh, June twenty first to do some stuff, you know. But wow. uh, he's, he's been, that's all he's doing. He's doing book signings, promotions. I mean, it's like that's all he's doing. But I'm just thrilled for him because I'm honored that you know he he, he was the one picked to do this because nobody else could have done this. Believe yeah. me, nobody. There's not another person in the world that could have done this. Uh, he's going to get me twice. I bought the audio, but now i got to get the hard copy so I can see all the pictures. <laughs> oh, the pictures. Uh, great pictures in there. You got. Wait till you read the one about the lunatics. That's hilarious. I mean, <laughs> they, they call them the lunatics. And there's an art, a, a newspaper article from when Casey was like three for four with the lunatics. No, that's, that's great. And, and let's not, okay. before we wrap it up, let's not forget he won the minor league. He won the, the Junior World Series, whatever they called it, uh, the the uh, when he was coaching, when he was coaching the minor league, so he he, he was very he successful. Also won the pennant with Oakland in 1948 before he became a Yankee manager with the, with the Pacific Coast League. He had Pacific Billy Martin. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, no, he was he was like uh, you know, like I said, baseball, 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 baseball. You know, so <laughs> it's like uh, and his wife Edna. Without her, I don't know. She was the greatest thing. You know, just like you look at Ronald Reagan and Nancy Reagan. Yeah, I, I went to you know, I, I was telling some friends. Casey was just Edna was just like that. You know, they were married. so much man and uh, it's always a great time and, and we'll chat again soon and uh, i gotta come up your way one of these days and, uh, and have Keith, lunch. i've been threatening to take you to malibu for lunch but you gotta get over here <laughs> i first, gotta get know? there exactly <laughs> okay god bless you keith and i and, and i know you're doing a great job and will you say hi to sweet tooth for me i will definitely say hi to sweet tooth for you in about five, five minutes or so <laughs> okay god bless uh, you too brother take care Bob Case, everybody. Always a pleasure to have him on. I mean, so many great stories and uh, you know, his, his association with so many people. But uh, Casey Stingle and the book uh, written by Marty Appel is, is a fantastic book. Baseball's Greatest Character. So if you get a chance, check that out. Uh, you can get it on Audible. You can you can uh, get the hard copy from, uh, I guess, any place. Uh, you know, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, all that kind of great stuff. We're going to take a quick break. And we'll come back and get Anthony Davis on the line. You're listening to Swoops World on the Talk Story Radio Network, sponsored by HealthyNewDay.com. This is Fat Reggae Dub Status, and this is called Back to the Pads. (laughs) 
just got to class, I just smoked some grass Holy shit, I graduated, how the fuck did I pass? Cause time shoots by like a star in the sky And with this mic in my hand, yeah, that's how I'm passing by You're hearing this because you found out that I write A story about my life, simply one at a time So now it's back to the pad again Smoke out with my dad again, someone hit up more Cause I need myself a Heineken Got a pack of ball, can't give it up and lend With no reason to be pet because this is a godsend Back to smoking buzz out hard, cough, check my card Questions about my life, well my music takes me far Because there's nowhere I'd rather be Chilling with my friends in the city by the sea Cause there's nowhere I'd rather go With a one-way ticket on my way back to home So now Southern California where the music's always pumping The party's always down and the bass is always thumping so bump up the music and turn it up loud Rolling through your town, we be raising up a crowd Up tall in this life that I'm living Thrown into a pond and now I'm the fish that's swimming In a fucking abyss Cause you're taking away from every person that I'm missing And you're thrown into a situation Surrounded by Christians who are telling me the road to take Make no mistake, I've got to make my grand escape To find the truth, no person can tell me what to do Cause I'm telling you how the fuck it is Cause this Christian religion, church affiliation All of these are nothing that I'm used to But my open-mindedness is like a weapon that I can use There's nowhere I'd rather be Chilling with my friends in the city by the sea Cause there's nowhere I'd rather go a one-way ticket on my way back to home So now Southern California where the music's always pumping The party's always down and the bass is always thumping So bump up the music and turn it up loud Rolling through your town, we be raising up a crowd to our world today. What's your question? Our continents make up 29% of the Earth's surface, meaning that 71% is comprised of water. Man automatically adapts to environmental conditions. So why do I need to take swimming lessons? Are you ready for kids who eat healthy? Good nutrition can lead to great things. To find out how a healthy lifestyle can help your child succeed, go to mypyramid.gov. Brought to you by the Ad Council and USDA. 
Look for a little rock. Now you can share the topics that drive the discussions of your favorite talk shows with TalkStream Live's topic-driven talk radio. we got to talk. Let's take a drive. List and promote real-time talk radio topics or post the topics that you want to hear. Hot topics are tweeted and retweeted and include simple click-to-listen audio links. The future of talk radio is topic-driven talk radio. That's what I call real drive. Available now at TalkStreamLive.com. Talk Story Radio. Casey Regan. We're from Music You Can See and Ameriblues.com and Kelly's Live. We are swooping it at Swoops World. Welcome back to the show, our good friend and colleague, five-time national champion, two-time All-American out of USC, played in the NFL, and also known as Sweet Tooth, Anthony Davis, back to the show. How you doing, A.D.? Oh, no, you pulled that name out of a bag. Hey, hey our last guest said, say hello to Sweet Tooth for me, so we're, we're passing it on, man. <laughs> I'm saying Good old Bob Case. He uh, he said, "Say hello." Okay. Well, I'll talk to Bob down the road. I guess sometime. <laughs> I, know he's a, I know he's a character. He is. He is. He is. And we had a, we had a good time uh, talking about Casey Stingle and uh, and the new book that uh, is out about him and. Uh, and of course, uh, well, of course, we had a little chat about you know the AD, you know, uh, part of the part of that big group of uh, outstanding athletes who uh, we've crossed our paths over over the many many years. But uh, how you doing, man? Doing great, doing great. We uh, we we, we uh, see a lot of stuff in the in the news this week uh, with sports related stuff, and uh, you know, we're going to talk about a lot of it. And, uh, and I know you you've always talked about you know things guys do and get into and get involved in and whether or not it uh, is beneficial for them and, and, and what happens with their career. And, you know, we woke up a couple of days ago hearing about uh, Tiger Woods getting arrested for a DUI. Tom turns out he's, you know, he's got this whole back injury thing and he said he's probably sounds like a combination of uh, medications. But uh, what were your thoughts when you heard about that? Well, first of all, you know, when I thought about that, I thought about his father because I met his father years ago. We did a, uh, matter of fact, we were at a, a signing together, and I met his father, and I thought of him right away. And what would his thoughts be if he was here? But, you know, hey, a lot of people say it was alcohol. A lot of people say it was a mixture of the drugs he was taking because of the complications of the, of the back injury. You know, I just don't, you know, I really don't know. I mean, what time was he out? Why was he out so late? Is it just a trending pattern that he's that he's been involved with over the years? You know, those well, kind of thoughts. They, 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 know, they know it's not alcohol. The, the police released a statement said it wasn't alcohol. He blew double zeros. No alcohol in his system. Uh, apparently, it was early in the morning, uh, and and you know they think it's it's going to be prescription meds, but uh, you know with the combination he's taken since his back surgery, and that's what he says it is. Uh, we haven't you know they haven't 
you know, done any, I don't know if they've come up with what it exactly it was, but they definitely know it wasn't alcohol. Well, there's no, I mean, they're just passing judgment then. So, you know, why is people putting this fake news out here if, uh, if that's not the truth? I mean, I guess once uh, you get caught yourself in the public eye or, or the press and they assume this one way, they just assume that it's, it's, it's Bible. But but it, but it, but it's not it's not it's, it's not the Bible. I mean, you know. Uh, 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 so I got to give him the benefit of the doubt. It's none of my business anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's one of those. It's one of those things. Uh, you know, people. Um, I think people like to see people. Uh, you know, fall and you know they were all. T- I heard all the reports where oh he's going to lose sponsors. He's going to lose sponsors. And Nike came out today and said no. We're we're sticking with him. Uh, he's solid. He's solid in our books. Uh, you know, I, and uh, Jack N- Nick Nicholas. You know, he said that. You know, he just he just hopes hopes the best for Tiger. So they've been friends for a number of years. Uh, I think what happens is the press jumps on these things and TMZ and whatnot, and and they want to see. Uh, you know, they want to see the worst in people. Um, and I, you know, I always say he. he <laughs> I can't be throwing glass stones at people because you know we all go through things and stuff. And yeah, we'd like to see. You know, I. You know, he's he's been struggling on the course. He's had some. He's had some a uh, number of bad years. Now he's. He was a top player in the world uh, for a number of years, and people have waited for a long time to see him see him fall. I don't know how far down they want him to fall, but it seems like people will just jump on and pile on every time something pops up. I know a lot of people that's been, you know, I've, I've, I've heard and heard rumors from different people that, you know, when you see him in public or whatever, he's hard to approach and whatever, and, and he sort of turned people off. And I think a lot of people figured that with that kind of attitude, you know, you need to fall, you know, you need to come come down to earth, you know, you, you know your ego is, is out of touch. You know, uh, and then also a lot of people don't realize, you know, we have a president now by the name of Donald J. Trump, who who talks about fake news and everything else. So now anything you fabricate now, you know, is speculation. Because even if it's, it's the total truth, the propaganda of how the press is done makes it where nobody really believes what you print anyway. Right. I mean, it's, it's gotten to that point. That's the kind of age we're living in. I mean, people don't believe anything. If you don't see it, if you don't see it eye to eye, you can't believe it. That's who we are now. <laughs> and that's not a, it's not a good it's not a good way to be. I mean, we we want it, we want to be able to believe that if, when we hear something on the news that we've got the facts and we're able to make a sound judgment based on the facts. Uh, but now, when you have to question the facts, you know, you can, it's hard for you to make, come to a conclusion or, or an honest decision about something you've heard because you don't have all of the facts by from the people who are supposed, supposed to be providing the facts. You just don't know. You just don't know about anything. Yeah. You just don't know whether it's a good thing or bad. You don't know. That, that That's where we're going. And, and, and as long as you have a guy like President Trump out there telling people, hey, it's fake. And then, you know, and, and come, to the point where, come, come to the point where a lot of stuff has been fake. Right. And with this Internet and, and with you know, Instagram and Internet and, uh, and, and tweeting and all this kind of stuff, People can fabricate any kind of headline, like you saw these these fake these fake sites on on the internet were totally untrue, and people were rushing to believe it. Right well, now, people don't do it because they all found out now it was all fake, and stuff even beyond before this stuff has been come about. It is always a lot of stuff be, before that's been fake. So. 
Well, yeah, that's how people see the things going on. It's always been a situation, and I've always said that you know, regardless of where you're getting your news from, you know, and regardless of who's telling the story, you gotta you gotta do your own fact checking and and you know get your stuff from various outlets, and the truth lies somewhere in between about eighty nine ninety percent of the time. Uh, but now, uh, <laughs> with so much stuff that's just flat out uh, untrue, uh, it makes it even more difficult. You know, usually you get his side of the story, her side of the story, and, you know, everybody's trying to tell the story in their best light, and the truth lies somewhere in the middle. Now you just get somebody who makes up a story, and then the true story's out there, and you don't know which one to believe. That's the way it is. I mean, I've been a victim of some of that myself as, as a sports celebrity, so uh, I've dealt with that. I've dealt with that, and everybody else has dealt with that. Yeah. It means, you know, a lot of times they, 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 these guys might be in the ballpark, but they're not reporting the game in the ballpark correctly. Right. You can be in the ballpark, but, you know, and, and, and if one lie is said in the article, if one lie is in the article, that means the article's not true. Then you got to expect, like, everything else you've written. So, I mean, so that's the issue. You can say one thing, and it can be incorrect, it messes up the whole story. Well, that, and that's another thing. A lot of times these these, these places, uh, you know, and, and and I've always, you know, this has been going on for a number of years uh, with major na- major publications, including the L.A. Times. They'd get a story wrong uh, on Monday uh, on the front page, and they put the retraction in on, on you know, Wednesday, uh, you know, on A14, you know, so... You know, if it was a big enough story to put on the front page, and you found out you did it wrong, put the retraction on the front page. You know, don't don't bur- don't bury it. You know, in the back of the back of the section. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. But by then, it the damage is all out. But, but now, yeah. but but the bottom line is, you can put it on the front page now, and people don't believe it regards one way or the other, left or right. They don't care. I don't know. I don't believe that. And then if somebody, like you just said, and someone would see it, is this really true? Let me do my own investigation. The savvy ones will do their own investigation research. Who has time to go dig in and do stuff like that? Right. You know, so so, so people just bypass it. And I can see why newspapers are going out of business now. And if you want to glance it online, you can see it online. And if you see it online, if you want to believe it, that's on you. <laughs> now... But, but nowadays, people are not even believing most of the stuff they put on, even when it's accurate. Right. And that's what has been created. Because, you know, once you question everything, uh, even things that are, are, are accurate, you know, then, uh, you know, we get we get wound up and, and wrapped up in, in the stuff that doesn't doesn't matter to us. And, and things that are important that are happening, we're ignoring because, you know, they've got us watching all this other crap, you know. <clears throat> Somebody said that the other day about uh, you know these tweets. You know, you know, people get in Twitter wars with the president or with Congress people and all this kind of stuff. And everybody's following all these Twitter wars. What's going on? What are, what decisions are they being made behind you know behind the behind the curtain while we're watching all this nonsense? Well, first first of all, you know you hear you hear you, you look, first of all you hear my voice right now. You're hearing what I'm saying. That's what it's going to come to. If you don't hear him say it but b- verbatim, you're not going to believe it. That's where it's coming to. I'm glad I can talk to you on this radio live so people can hear my voice. What's coming out of my voice is accurate. 
It's not going to be secondary. And then you, if you want to recall it, you can go to the archive of this show and hear what I had to say. So you're not going to hear no secondhanded stuff from me from here on out. As a matter of fact, I don't even like talking to press anymore because I, you know, I probably the only, only one guy I deal with uh, is uh, is Mr. Wolf Daily News. Scott. <laughs> that's the only guy that I trusted. Scott's the only guy that I really trust and deal with. I mean, because cause the rest of them I can't trust. No, they, well, they, 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 they paraphrase and they take things out of context and, and uh, right. you know, that makes a headline. People click on that headline. It's clickbait. And then you read the article or you actually go yeah. back and listen to the interview and you read, that's not what he said. Well, Mr. Wolf is very accurate. <laughs> and he, he won't, and as you know who he is, and he won't put anything in there that is not accurate. The problem is, guys like good guys like that suffer because he's part of the press. You know, so he's the same thing. If he puts something out there, people are not going to believe his stuff anyway because of what's been created. And, and the internet has done that. Facebook has done that. You know, and then and now that the fact that we have a president of the United States that calls people fake, that's I mean, that he's really put a stamp on it right now. So I'm glad I'm you're hearing my voice live, and I'm saying and I can verify that. And he can say, no, you, I didn't say that. Go listen to what I said. So that's, that is the reason why I'm glad I'm talking to you live. Yeah. And matter of fact, this is the only outlet that I really talk to. But when I talk about, like when I talk about the stuff about brain issues, book issues, uh, anything about the NFL, you're hearing it straight from my mouth. We've talked in the past, uh, and I know that you know you've talked about you know playing in the Jim Crow era and, and whatnot, and and there's right. there's no doubt that uh, you know you cannot legislate uh, people's beliefs, so you're, you're always going to have racists running around regardless. Uh, but the big story in the paper today was uh, somebody somebody vandalized uh, LeBron's house uh, or the gate in front of his house uh, here in L.A. and uh, you know put some some type of racist uh, statement on there, racist words on there, and. And you know that's nothing new, I guess, because it's uh, a celebrity. It, it makes it, it, it's huge news, but uh, it's 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 been all over the the news today and all of the sports. And he's made a statement about it. And uh, I and listen, a race is a racist, but you all, we're also going into the the championship games and people play head games with people. Uh, how much of this do you think was actually somebody being racist or somebody uh, using this to try to get in his head because uh, you know they're fans of another team? Well, for, for, first of all, he's in California. Matter of fact, matter of fact first before I make my comment on it, I mostly didn't think LeBron had a place in Brentwood. Exactly. I was, <laughs> I was surprised myself. <laughs> for, first of all, LeBron James in Brentwood, most people thought he'd be in Cleveland, in Ohio, somewhere with his properties, or Miami, which he does. Yeah. But to be in Brentwood, he's been here since 2015, from what I understand. And I believe that either somebody... It could be black or white or whatever the race the person did to put that on there. It could have been it could have been it could have been put there to distract him, uh to put any kind of doubt or distract him of what he's getting ready to do tomorrow. I think that's what it was overall, but but obviously there can be a lot of racial stuff behind that. I mean, in the from from the from the outset of it, when I heard about it and if if they did that that was a racist move, and if, if, if that wasn't for it, it could have been a brother put that name out there, but I don't think so. But but I don't know. I don't know why would a brother get in his car from South Central, going to go over there, put the word the N word on there, 
and just take off. I don't think he had time to do that. As a matter of fact, I don't think most brothers knew he lived in, in Brentwood. <laughs> Well, you know, I've heard so much of so much about his love for uh, Cleveland, and they need to go back there, and that's his hometown, and this is why he went back. Blah blah blah. I just did. never expected him to have a pad here in L.A. I mean, he got the money to have a pad in every state, every every state in the union. But uh, I was just surprised. Well, I mean, some just buyers of course say, "Hey, look, you need to spread some of that money and spread your investment. Go out to California and get some expensive real estate out there." And, Probably is a good move, but like I said, there a lot of people didn't even know he had a home here, and I think he, they're trying to distract him. I think they're trying to create mental issues with him, worrying with worrying about his house, somebody vandalizing his house, and so I mean, come on, I mean, but that's what I believe it is. If it's lone racists out there, a group of people that are racist, hey, it doesn't surprise me. Look, I grew up and was born in the Jim Crow era, right in the heart of it. I played college and pro football in Jim Crow. And when I, you know, and people don't realize, look, the 1970s was Jim Crow. The, the, you know, let's face it, that was Jim Crow. Look, I played in, the, I played in the time and the era, but they didn't even have black quarterbacks. What does that tell you? I could tell you, I could just name you, I could just name you two of them in the 70s. It was James Harris and Vince Evans to, 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 you know, okay, and those guys weren't even starters. You know, it, it was a, it was this, it was some liberal owner, some liberal general manager who said, let's give these guys a, sh a shot. So what does that tell you? And I call it the sugar-coated Jim Crow era. I mean, you know, we didn't play in the quota system here. And, and, you know, it, it, I can say this, remember, 1970 was the first integrated game. Yeah. So you can see why, where, where it's going from. And one thing LeBron said, which, you know, which I think he's savvy, he's young, and he's, and he's intelligent. Uh, he says, which, which, which I really admire the guy. He goes, listen, I don't care how much money I've made or how much money there's always a racial element in our society, which is sad. He said, I don't care how much money I've made. You know, we, and he, in his opinion, he said that uh, that race is still an issue in this country. And he said, until we, in his mind, he feels until we're, it's an equal playing ground, it's always going to be that way. Well, I just want to let him know there was guys way before him, decades before him, that it broke walls down where he's been able to do that. And one thing I like about him, he acknowledges that. And uh, and I saw the clip of where him acknowledging Jim Brown in one of the championship games uh, last year, last year, acknowledging Jim Brown, who was born in Jim Crow, who played in segregated and was born in segregation in the South, played. In, in, in Jim Crow here in the 60s and the 50s. I mean, you know, so I'm just telling you, he's very aware of the past. And, uh, and, and you know, it's still alive and well. Not as prevalent, but it's still alive and well. Racism, sexism is all still there, live and well. You know, so uh, it's awful that still go it's going on behind a basketball game. I mean, what is it to dislike this guy? This guy is donates to charity. He does a lot. Him and his wife. Uh, he's monumental. He's done a lot for a lot of kids. I could take my hat off to him. But yeah. racism is still. You know, the thing is, is uh, regardless of uh, what a player does off the field, you know, when it comes to sports, uh, you know, people will hate you for a number of reasons. You know, I knew. I mean, they were burning his jerseys when he left Cleveland before. You know, they they, they said some, even the owner said some harsh things about him. So, 
you know, regardless of what you've done as far as, uh, you know, your philanthropy, uh, that doesn't, when it comes to fans, you know, fans is short for fanatics, uh, you know, when it comes to that, it, it means nothing. But uh, as far as, you know, r r racism and things like that go, yeah, it, it, you know, it's, 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 you know, our country doesn't have a, uh, have, have a, you know, we don't hold the, the world's uh, leadership on that. The racism is throughout the world. Um, and right. you're going to have, uh, you're going to have idiots do things and, and say things. I think, I think, uh, I think this was mostly to try to, like you said, get inside his head coming into, you know, the championship series, because I think that's what fans, crazy fans, crazy out there people will do, do things like that. Right. Um, but you know, it's, it doesn't make it right. It doesn't, you know, it's wrong regardless. And, and, uh, you know, I don't think it. I, I don't think that's the kind of thing that's going to fluster him. And so whoever did it, it's just, you know, they, they committed a crime. And I got to imagine there's probably cameras and everything else all over Brentwood. So I'm pretty sure they'll solve this. Well, you know, uh, it could be anybody that done that. But I mean, but still, the climate of the fact him being black, black superstar, black multi-millionaire in the middle of Brentwood, ain't there's not that many blacks up there anyway. There are blacks up there, but you know, there's only a handful of them. Because I just lived right up the road from there in Pacific Palisades one time when there were really no blacks up there. So I'm just telling you uh, that he's live and well, and he's a target. And and I wish the day will come when he goes away. But I won't see it, I won't see it in my lifetime. I mean, my granddaughter might see it, but I'm not going to see it. So uh, that was definitely a distraction, whatever. And, you know, who knows? And they tried to create some news anyway. It's just a great news story. And as long as they're spelling LeBron's name right, that's all that matters at the end of the day. Anyway. <laughs> Spell I mean, my name know, right. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, look, he's a championship kind of guy. He's getting ready to go in probably three, the three back, the three peak, and let's see what happens. And, and somebody's just, so, so, want to knock him off his game? They would somebody go do that. I yeah. mean, that, well, you know, that's what it is. You know, it could been it could have been anybody that done that. You know, something. Yeah. I mean, what are you going to do to create something? Just go up in front of his house and yell yell at LeBron? <laughs> you know, like I said before. I mean, we didn't even know he. I, mean, I was shocked. I mean, this man has property in California like that. I said, wow. So if you took a survey, if you went and took a survey in L.A. and asked people who were savvy, where's the John Brain, where's LeBron James property holdings are in the United States? And, and I'm telling you, they most people who know LeBron will say Ohio. Yeah. The, the most savvy people would say Ohio and Miami and, and Florida. But most people would not say California. Across the country? No. I mean, don't get me wrong. You got people that got own property everywhere, and people don't know. But you know, in the middle of Brentwood, that was a shocker to me, but it didn't surprise me because he has the resources to do it anyway. Right. You know, I mean, he lives in a, it's a twenty million dollar house. I think it's nine thousand square feet. I mean, wow, big house, but still, I didn't know. But I uh, just think so much trying to throw him off his game. Yeah. Just to his middle game off and uh we'll see i doubt that it will but we'll see what, what becomes of that 
Um, I know you follow, uh, you played a lot of baseball, and uh, and you know we talk about uh, things. And there's a big fight. There was a big fight the other day with uh, Bryce Harper uh, throwing his helmet at the Giants pitcher. I guess he felt. I think he got hit by a pitch. Um, you know, in back when I was growing up, uh, you know, I I remember quite a few fights, quite a few brawls out in the out in the field. Uh, I, they still happen. Uh, we don't see it as often as as we used to, but. Uh, what are your thoughts when you uh, you played the game? What are your thoughts when you see this kind of you know retaliation stuff and bench clearing brawls? Uh, is that a part of the game? Is that uh, is it something that's fading fading out, or is it still a part of the game? And is it is it necessary to kind of let uh, let the pitchers know that you didn't like that pitch? Or what are your thoughts on that? First of all, it's a stupid, immature thing, part of the game, and these guys are getting millions of dollars. You can go get in a brawl in your career. What if you blow a knee out? What if you break a hand? What if you get break an arm? You know, what if you get get a concussion getting hit upside the head? I mean, anything can happen. Yeah. I think it's really stupid. Yeah, it's part of the game. Yes, it is. It is it for all teams to protect each teammate. Yes, it is. But let me tell you something. If I'm advising my client, if I'm representing one of them athletes, don't you get involved in any of those bribes and you, and you take the heat from your teammate. Don't hurt yourself. What if it's a key player? What if his what what if what if his career was ended by that brawl, and what if his season was ended by that brawl? So I'm just saying that is a stupid thing to do. As part of the game, it is very stupid. As a matter of fact, if I if, if, if I go back in the collective bargaining with baseball again, I would say anybody that comes off the field, he's suspended for a month or whatever. I bet you'll stop that with no pay. There's no place in the game for that. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just as part of the game is terrible. Just like in hockey, there's no place in the game for the way they throw their stuff off to start fighting. You know, you're talking about the way those guys beat each other in the head. You know I mean, come on, there's no place for that either. This is a bad message out to the youth. You know, you go back to uh, I forgot what year it was, but when uh, I think it was Juan Marshall hit John and Roseboro with uh, with a you know they had a, they had a big with a bat. Uh, you know that I remember. I was a kid when that happened. Um, uh, these, you know, and, and it's, it's really, that. you remember that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Marshall got that bat and hit him upside the head. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Split his head open. Yeah, and uh, it's just it, you know, you, you, you know, you talk about little hockey. These guys have weapons out there, man, and you gotta you gotta kind of control some of that because it's not only uh, you know. Putting the guy out for the game, and you can end a guy's career. You can you can maim a guy for life. Uh, some serious serious things can happen with these with these uh, brawls, especially with these weapons they have out there, sticks and bats and you know everything else. Well, that's why there's no place for it in the game. Period. You can't do that. Yeah. I wouldn't even let it start. I wouldn't let it start. And in in in, in if, they, if if it's between two players, no better better nobody would better come off those benches. And let the ref and everybody goes out there, and the people that are on the field stop it. But no one else better throw any punches. Better not do that. That's how that's how the referee did from here on out. But you know, it is what it is. As far as the game, I think it's stupid. There's no way. If I was playing baseball, I'm not going out there. It's I'm not going out there. You can talk about me. I'm not going. I'm not going to jeopardize my career and my salary behind some stupid stuff. That's just me. It's a, a matter of fact, when I was playing, I never got in the ref's face. Hey, you want to call the penalty on me? Fine. 
something it's a great game. I'm getting paid to play, and, and I'm and I, I'm not going I'm not gonna take it serious. You're gonna call a penalty, and you ain't gonna affect me getting paid. So why am I gonna make it go crazy? No reason to do it. I never got in the ref's face. A lot of guys. Let do. it go. A lot of guys do. They get in the ref's face, and uh, and especially uh, you know certain sports. You see it. You see a lot of guys get in the ref's face in uh, in basketball. Uh, you see some guys get in the umpire's face in in, in baseball. Uh, fighting is all, all essentially a part of hockey. You know, you went you went to uh, a fight and a hockey game broke out. You know, it's a, it's a joke. Right. You know, you, the you, the the referees will let them fight for a, a, a while before they start to pull them off. Um, and I guess you know different sports have different histories and different different rules and, and things coming along. But when we when we've spent a lot of time talking about the safety, uh, especially with with head trauma, we've spent a lot of time talking about safety over the last you know year or so. Uh, you think that some of this stuff will start to kind of be policed a little bit better? Mm. Understood. Understood. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. Let, let's talk a little bit about football. We got. Uh, I think you and I mentioned, touched on it before. Uh, uh, Marshawn Lynch going to the Raiders. Uh, you, right. you see. You see some of these. Uh, I see the Rams are talking about what they need to do this year. Uh, you know, and we talked last week about this too. The the Chargers, you know, they're selling tickets. So, you know, they're they're opening in L.A. Uh, the season's getting close to you know you know getting ready to get back in the in the in the league and, and see things going on. Uh, what are your predictions? Uh, of some of these of some of these things. How are the Rams going to do? How are the Chargers going to do? You think Lynch is going to make a difference for the Raiders? Uh, what what are your thoughts on some of that stuff? Well, look, I mean, Marcel Lynch is a great PR move bringing him back. Uh, He's a great runner. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a, he is a, he is a rough runner, a ruthless runner. The fact is that the Raiders can implement him in their system and they can do a a balanced attack. They can do it with Carr and him and launch the passing game and the run game. Uh, they're gonna be. The, they, I think they could. They're, gonna be, they're, they're the team to beat in the, in the AFC West. Yeah. They're the team to beat in the AFC, AFC if they, in my football opinion, if they do it that way. If they don't, if they're gonna piecemeal it in and out of the, the lineup. I don't see them doing anything. That, that to me, this vulnerable. If you're not using a guy like Marshall Lynch as the kind of bonnet runner he is and the way he runs, he can run it inside and out and can catch the ball. If they don't use him all the time. And let him touch the ball at least fifteen to twenty times, both either receiving or running the ball. Uh, Marcel, take your money. Because <laughs> 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 if they don't utilize him that way, it's not going to happen, in my opinion. In my opinion, because you know, of course, it's always going to be in the AFC overall. Of course, you got to go through New England again, and then you got to go, and then and then and then within their own division. Denver, so you know overall in football, they have one of the top teams in in, in, the, in the league. Yeah, but they, in my opinion, they have to do that with the Raiders. Because he's probably what's got maybe two or three years left. I mean, he might surprise. He might have maybe four or five. Who knows? And Adrian Peters is still running down there in New Orleans. So we'll see. Yes. Uh. Jared Goff, uh, this will be his second year. Uh, what do you think? What do you think is going to improve? Is it, will you see some big improvement for him, or is is it more so not just him, more so that what's around him? 
No, I mean, the pieces, it, look, the pieces around him with, 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 look, the Rams are starting from A. They got new coach, new implement, they're going to implement a new system. Oh, they got to bring, they have to, they have to build pieces around him and Gurley. They have to build a piece around those two. Yeah. They don't do that. It's going to be a long way, long way to go. The same thing goes with the Chargers. New system, new coach. Even though they got Rivers there, they're starting to made to. New, new, new surroundings, new stadium, new everything. They got a long way to go in the NFC. Yeah. In the Rams, you know, it's just, you don't know. You got to build, the, the building block start. It's already started right now, but we have to see. A lot of people think, say that the man can play. A lot of people say they shouldn't have been drafted as high. He should have been in the first round, but not the number one over pick. But that's your opinion. Now, now, if the Patriots were drafting, it'd be a different story. Because you know how I feel about the Patriots now. They uh, draft and scout and everything else. One of, the, one of these guys. Matter, matter of fact, the Rams should go talk to the Belichick team and see how they do it, do stuff. Because, <laughs> because I think that's the best team in uh, football anyway. Let's talk about a couple other quarterbacks who are, I think they're entering their third season. You got uh, Marcus Mariota and, and Jameis Winston. Uh, their development, how, you know, how, the, how are they coming along? Do you see them uh, uh, becoming the, the, you know, they are elite quarterbacks in the league, but do you see them ra- rising to the status where, you know, their names are being considered uh, on a regular basis as far as, you know, getting to the playoffs and winning championships? Well, Winston has probably the most upside to me because they got a foundation there in Tampa that uh, they're building real well. And they're going to be right there, in my opinion. Yeah. He's got the most upside. I don't think uh, Mariotti has the pieces around him the way Winston has it. And I just, you know, and I, I frankly prefer uh, Winston, you know. I just think he has more upside of any of the young quarterbacks coming up. Big, he's strong, he's mobile, and he's a good leader. Yeah. But you know the main thing is, is, is again, it's how they build a build a system around him and stuff. But you gotta you gotta build a system on a one two punch, running pass. You gotta do that. You just don't do it. You know you just have to do it. I mean, you, you know, him bringing it up again, like you take the Patriots. The Patriots has a unique thing with Brady. They can plug anybody in, and they can they can win. But these other teams got to build their pieces, and they got to find their identity. And uh, I think I think. Tampa Bay can do it between those two. Well, you know, I think Tampa Bay, uh, you know, they 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 show they show a lot of spark, and, and I like to see I like to see um, you know them, you know, get get a good complete season in where uh, you know sometimes they come out of the gate fast, and then they, in the middle of the season they struggle, then they they kind of finish up mediocre. Uh, I think uh, uh, with with Winston, I, he's exciting to watch. I have to give him that. I mean, the guy he never he never quits, and you never th- he never seems like he's out of the game. Uh, but he, he he forces things at times. I think it's still. I, I didn't watch him much last year, but I think uh, if he gets through uh, that that learning curve, well, you know, some guys made a career of forcing stuff. Brett Favre forced stuff all the time, and probably one of the most exciting guys I watched over the years. But uh, I, I think sometimes you you'll see Winston make make some uh, make some mistakes that are. are Youth related that uh, he probably won't make as, as you know third fourth year QB. Uh, I haven't watched Mariota play much since uh, since he was in college. I just kind of see you know you know this his games don't come on here that often. 
Um, so I don't really know what, what he's doing and how well he's doing, but uh, he seems to he, he seems to be able to, to, to move the ball downfield uh, uh, at, a, at a decent clip most of the time. I don't see him forced too much, but I, I do think that Winston for me is is a more exciting quarterback to watch unless Mariota's breaking one you know uh, with his legs. Look, look, all these guys. It all starts at the top. Everything starts at the top. You don't win championships on the field. Starts in the front office. Starts with ownership. Because I keep telling you, that's why you got to take. That's why you got to follow the note of the Patriots. It starts at the top. It comes all the way down. Right. That's why they've been here for 15, 7, 15 years. You know, Tennessee's rebuilding. You know, Tampa Bay's rebuilding. They got some. They got some key quarterbacks. But he needs to build pieces around Mariota. They have to do that. If they don't do that, there'll just be some quarterback there. It was a number one pick, made a ton of money, and then he'd be out of the game. Right. That's how it is. I mean, so if they don't want to build and invest, and that and that takes a creative mind in football to do that. You know, you have to be a creative offensive coordinator. You got to be a creative owner to know to put the product on the field. You don't do that, and it's going to be another team, and you're going to be sitting there with one of the teams in the league that you know. You're paying all these guys, making you, you, if you're not building pieces and trying to build toward a championship run, I, just, I, guess they, I guess they got enough money to spend in deep pockets to do what they want. But if I'm on an F team, I'm building pieces. Yeah. And that's, I think that's what you, you know, you've mentioned that before. That's kind of what you have to do uh, regardless. You got to build, you got you to gotta bring in team, bring in people, bring in pieces. To, to move you forward, and like you said, the, 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 the Patriots always seem to find a way to do that. Uh, you know, the Seahawks have, have been pretty consistent with that over the years uh, since, um, uh, what's his name's been there. Um, you know, there's a few teams that, that have been able to do that, so uh, unless you invest in your team, uh, then you're just going to struggle consistently. And when you bring the team, bring the pieces around to, to, to boost up some of these young guys that you spend a lot of money on, uh, you, you would think that every owner would want to do that, but sometimes, sometimes some owners don't seem like they're really that interested in it. I mean, you, you, you look at basketball. You looked at what Sterling did over the years. It was like he never really put in the effort to really try to get a team together to to to, to have a run at a championship. So I, the thing is, if I'm Sterling, being right next door to Jerry Buss, they were friends, or public wise, you know, I knew they were friends. You would figure Sterling would be picking his brain every time he had a chance. And he had Jerry West over there, too, right there. I mean, you know, but the thing is, I just felt that the Clippers should have had the identity somewhere else. But if, I was, if, I'm, if, I'm, if I'm that guy, I'd have been, I'd have been picking Jerry West and Jerry Buss's brain for years. But he didn't do that. Yeah. He just took his millions, and that was it. If he won, it didn't matter. Right. And that's the public perception that the, the, all the time I've heard people talk about. He doesn't care as long as he, he's, you know, it's an ego thing and it's a write-off to him or whatever it is, and he, he made his money. Who knows what his, what his thought process was. And the way, and then, you know, the, the Elgin Baylor thing and, and all the stuff down the road, you know, so I, I still to this day hate the way Elgin was treated over there. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, it, it was a shame. And well, you know, some of those things that we hear about after the fact, you kind of go, well, why, why, why did it have to get to that, or why did, why did you stay around so long when you're being treated that way? I know Elgin wants to see you a championship. I know Elgin, you know, he's a proud man. 
uh, you know, but sometimes if you're working for a jerk, you know, sometimes it's just better just pack your bags and leave. But we only get, you know, like you were, talk, we were talking about earlier, we only get part of the story, so we don't get the whole story. Uh, oh. So, you know, you don't know. But it sure seemed like uh, he didn't want to invest in his team and, and, and listen to his general manager and, or in, and make the moves that you want to make as an owner who wants to win a championship. Right. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right on that. That's the reason why I always keep bringing, that's why I always bring up, that's why I always bring up, you know, the Patriots. And now you can look at Golden State. Now you can look at Cleveland, thanks to LeBron coming back. But that LeBron has that owner where he wants him anyway now after much, popping his big mouth off, talking <laughs> bad mouth. <laughs> exactly. Well, it, 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 it's amazing, well, uh, you know, when, when people <clears throat> say stuff and, you you know, you can bring it back to them and say, okay, this is what's going to cost you to get me back now. Right. <laughs> now that I brought a championship back in, you know, really, you're going to need to you, you really open up your checkbook even more. <laughs> Not that one. The one you got, the one, the one you get in the safe. Bring that one out. Right. Right. <laughs> so, so, so in other words, you see the, the, see the owner, the smart, you take the smart owner, it's like the guy to go in the state. Now, once LeBron straightened out this guy in Cleveland, they're building the dynasties. Yeah. You see, you know, you know, Kerr, who was a coach, he was with the Bulls. He was with the San Antonio Spurs. He took all he took all that information and that experience, and, and this is what the Golden State has now. Yeah. See, that's what I'm talking about. That's what you have to do. You know, everybody got to take note of how they build their teams. That's the reason why. Look, Golden State, to me, bearing injury, they're going to be there for the next five years. Yeah. <clears throat> Absolutely. Absolutely. And, 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 and like you said, barring any injury or any, anything strange with the, with a trade or something, these guys, these guys are, they, they continue to add pieces and, and get better. And uh, I think they've had the best record in the league with two, three years running. So, uh, right. yeah, uh, you know, it, it's, 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 it, they're, they're setting themselves up for, for a good long run. Yeah, absolutely. AD, as always, it's, it's great to have a chance to chat with you, man. Tell everybody about your book and, and what you've been doing with, those, with, 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 that, with that cause of yours. Well, the book is called Kickoff Concussion, done by work with me, a guy named Jeremy Rosenberg, who co-authored it with me. And there's been a, a great thing out there for people who really don't know my story, but just concussions. I've been working with aiming clinics for... 10 years now and uh, and I've had great results and I just put the word out that you know that if you have any type of brain injury or trauma you need to contact us at the at the aiming clinics www.aimingclinics.com so uh, just seek me out you can find me through the clinic and and that I've been working with these people for the longest especially Doc Amen who's, who's one of the best in the world, if not the best in the world, what he does. So uh, with the book, along with the clinic, we're doing great. And is that just for uh, for athletes that have had head trauma, or is it for uh, anybody? For everybody. It's just it's, it's for everyone. I mean, you look at, you talk about, you know, you talk about across the board, the general public, we got the soldiers coming back, female and male, we got Traumatic brain injury, you got boxing, MMA fighting, hockey, soccer, you know, 
uh, hockey. And hockey's really great in of course, football. So uh, it's across the board from professionals, athletes, just the common Joe on the street all suffer the same thing. Absolutely. So, and I, I just think that the Amy Clinton is the best in the world what they do. I'm a believer. A lot of people say, you know, Anthony Davis know what he's talking about. Well, I'm a living proof of it. I've been with him 10 years, and if you follow his direction, if you follow his direction, you will go a long way in your treatment. And and I can tell you, what I've done working with him has been phenomenal. Brother, thanks a lot for uh, for joining us and uh, having a chance to chat about this stuff, and uh, we'll do it again next week. Okay. Take care. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Anthony Davis, everybody, uh, always great to have him on the show and, and, and chat with him and talk to him about what's going on in the world. And uh, we'll do it again uh, next week, next Wednesday uh, at 8 p.m. Pacific and uh, 11 p.m. on the East Coast. You can listen to me tomorrow. I'll be co-hosting with Xander Gibb on XRAD, and uh, you can pick that up on uh, I think it's on Facebook Live. It's where uh, we're broadcasting from there. So we're checking that out. Just go to uh, XRAD or uh, XanderGibb.com, and you can find out all you need to know about that. That's going to do it for us tonight. And uh, as we always say, dream as if you'll live forever, live as if you'll die today. Good night, all. The views and opinions expressed by the individual hosts and their guests do not necessarily reflect those of Talk Story Radio, its affiliates, or sponsors.